Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. Today, we are talking to Dr. Maria Predis, a licensed professional counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. She might call herself a heart healer, a courage instiller, a lover of all bodies, self-compassion coach, voice amplifier, space maker, companion to those in pain, a believer in hope, and a mama bird. Today, we talk about social media, her path to where she is, and all other things that are nourishing us. Enjoy. Hello, Maria. It is so nice to have you join Lori and I today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to share space with you again, this time not in person, but it's nice to at least be talking with you. Yes, it was very special for both of us to be able to see you and for me meet you in actual person because when you are in this world of following people on social media and interacting, you feel like you know them. Mm-hmm. But to actually have that physical space is just incredible. Yeah, and I was so impressed with how you um, at Nidic, uh kind of on the cuff, I think, spontaneously led our yoga class. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> which was yeah. lovely. Yeah, that was my first ever yoga class that I taught. <laughs> so that was definitely fun. I learned well, a lot. A great from that. job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, so to start off, we just like to share the space of you just identifying any privileges or identities or frameworks that you work from that you would just want to sort of set the tone for our little chat today. Sure. Um, so I am white. I um my my background is um I have a a strong um identity background of being Italian-American, so grew up um, going to where my dad's village is in Italy and, and um, um, being able to learn a second language in that way, so that's part of my experience, um, And um, but have a tremendous amount of privilege, white, um, smaller bodied. I have, um, I think the one thing that has given me a lot of access that others don't have is I've had a lot of education. Um, a lot of access to education, um, and two, I've had a lot of therapy, a lot of good therapy and good clinical supervision. Um, and I mention those because um, that experience of being able to work through my own, you know, trauma, complex trauma, being able to recover, um, being able to just learn about myself um, and not be rushed with it. Um, being able to have a lot of access to the amount of time I've needed to, to do therapy um, mm. has really given me access to um, continue doing the work that I do. Wow. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, so this is the first time I spoke. So this is Lori. Um, hello. <laughs> Um, again, I totally agree. It was wonderful to meet you at Netic in May um, after having followed your work for some time in the social media um, realm, as well as seeing some webinars that you have done for various other organizations. But I was just wondering if you could explain your practice and what you do with clients, um, because 
I, my understanding is you don't only work with clients with eating disorders, you do work with other clients. So I'm just interested in what you do in your practice. Sure. Um, so, you know, my practice is called Three Birds Counseling and Clinical Supervision. Uh, and we purposely have that clinical supervision in the name because a, a, a big portion of what we do is providing clinical supervision. Um, so training, um, uh, you know, new counselors, dietitians, um, and a lot of folks who are seasoned professionals, but just wanting um, consultation or supervision around the work that they're doing. Um, we certainly the the area that we market the most and that I would say we see the most people is around disordered eating and body image um, but we do a lot with anxiety depression trauma um, we do a lot around infertility and pregnancy loss um, I have a provider who does um, uh, surrogacy assessments so and gestational carrier assessments so um, folks who maybe have been facing a lot of infertility or just are not able to carry uh, on their own for whatever reasons. Um, and she does the work um, on all ends of working with people on assessing um, the suitability of a gestational carrier, um, sometimes coaching couples on just what to expect and the challenges around some of that. Um, and she draws from her own experience of having had um, lots of infertility and pregnancy loss, but also um, having had twins via surrogacy. So just what that's like to have your babies being carried by someone else and yeah. um, all that goes into that. Um, we also do what's called hardship evaluations. Uh, and so one of my providers, uh, Melissa Carmona, she's the Spanglish therapist on Instagram. Yes, she is. Um, does wonderful stuff, yeah. She and I do hardship evaluations, in, um, and those are mental health um, assessments, uh, usually of the spouse or loved one of someone who is either facing deportation or seeking asylum. So um, folks who are undocumented and, um, you know, both her and I have close ties to that experience and um, in terms of loved ones and um, who have been or are undocumented who, or who have been deported. And so um, it's a really you know, passion project and what we've tried to do is keep costs as low as possible while still being able to you know, um, cover the costs of the process, which can be lengthy, can take um, several hours and, and time writing reports and meeting with people and doing it. But it's, um, it's been a real joy to be able to do it and to even learn, you know, of a case where we've been able to help someone um, be able to have asylum and, and be reunited with their family, which is an incredible thing. So, um, so, you know, I would say larger picture, you know, we want to help people if we're able to help them. And, and all of us have had previous experience doing a variety of things. So yes, body image and eating disorders is sort of the main thing, but I think that's tied with so much else. So um, we certainly have a lot of folks who are transgender, you know, um, we have folks who um, just are trying to make peace with something about their existence, which may not be specifically traditionally how we think about eating disorders, but might be, um, you know, having had an identity of some sort that was restricted in some way, and how do we help them have voice? How do we help them feel safer, more connected in their body? Um, and so like hardship evaluations to me fits in into that um, very well, um, mm -hmm. just in a different way. So social justice oriented and, and um, yeah, um, I'm kind of rambling. So, but. Oh no, you know, I think. <laughs> we, sounds great. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, my background, I've worked in college mental health as a college counselor, worked in hospice as a grief counselor. My master's was actually school counseling. And all the rest of the folks here, too, just have a varied experience. And I think that's a real gift to be able to mm -hmm. work with folks, because as you might know, people come to us with so many different things. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think you know, when we see an eating disorder or a body image concern, that's usually the output, you know, that's the, um, the result of something. And so mm -hmm. being able to explore what else is there, like what's the root of this um, cause so that we can really help this person um, heal the wound and not just put a Band-Aid on, you know, what we're seeing externally. Yeah, that sounds amazing. You, it, it sounds like it's a very strong social justice lens that you put on your whole practice, which I think we need to do more of when we talk about bodies and how we exist and how our bodies are viewed in the world. Absolutely. And I think if we don't do that, we're missing a big part of the equation. And I yeah. think um, if we don't do that too, you know, if we're not constantly trying to um, be aware of what else is going on and what's um, what a barrier might be, what's preventing someone from healing. Um, we may run the risk of actually providing harm because mm -hmm. if we're not aware of what else is impacting um, impacting a person oppression-wise, otherwise, then um, we may end up validating it in some way or, or leading the person to think that what they're dealing with is their fault. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we, we need to be able to bring in those other things. Yeah. I was just thinking to put it in context, where in the world are you located? Oh, sure. We're in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, not a lot of people know where Greensboro is. Um, I don't know that you would know where anything is in North Carolina, but um, you know, it is the Bible Belt. It's, um, it, there's definitely a lot of more conservative um, dynamics at play. Mm -hmm. And we happen to be in some pretty liberal pockets in terms of um, where there's a lot of universities and businesses and whatnot. But um, it's an interesting intersection of um, experiences. Where we are happens to be um, a big part of where the civil rights movement um, oh, okay. began. Yeah. And so we actually have um, the International Civil Rights Museum in our city. We have um, a university that's a, it's called an HBCU, Historically Black College University, um, A&T. My husband worked there for several years. And the Greensboro Four, um, for folks who know about them, um, were students there. There's a, a statue there. And, and they were um, the four that sat at the Woolworths counter um, that, that helped start the sit-in movement. Oh, yes. And so we actually have the original um, counter that was part of that and, and where that Civil Rights Museum is, they, they have that same Woolworths counter because that was downtown Greensboro. So there's, there's kind of neat history here and there's still a lot of work to do. And, mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, I'm proud of our little, our city here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. 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 But we also do some virtual work. So we do have some folks that we see um, outside of North Carolina sometimes. And I supervise a lot of folks from across the world. Yeah. I was going to say your clinical supervision that you provide other clinicians is is virtual, yes? Yes. So I, I have local people that are in person, but um, in terms of the HACE uh, clinical supervision case consultation groups, I do that with someone named Anna Lutz, who's an RD. Um, those are virtual, and we've got two groups of about 10 people each right now, and um, we, we love doing it. It's really neat having like dietitians and therapists together, um, mm -hmm. which 
really mirrors the work anyway um, in terms of a good treatment team. And so um, it's, it's been a neat thing to interact with folks from across, across the country and sometimes across the world. Yes, full disclosure, I tried to get in on that, but oh. the timing, I couldn't swing yeah. it with my work. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know. I'm always checking for when you're posting new ones. <laughs> well, and you know, let it, if, you know, send me an email and let me know if there's like a time where you want to meet, because if we can, if we have enough people at a certain time, sometimes it's just like, it's like a Sudoku puzzle, right? Where yeah. there's like three people who want to meet at, you know, XYZ time and five people that want to meet at this time and, and finding a common time for that many people can be hard. But yes, we've, sure. you know, we've had folks who are like, can you meet on Sunday at five? I'm like, no, sorry, <laughs> we can't do that. But um, yeah. yeah. Very good boundaries. Zones are very tricky. Yes. Time zones too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we definitely heard sort of the, I feel like it's become a buzzword in a way in healthcare about trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think back to when I first started using more social justice frameworks and health at every size, I, as a dietitian, felt very ill-prepared for having any of these conversations with folks. And I'm just wondering, we have a lot of listeners who are either um, have been practicing in the health at every size, but not quite sure how to apply. We also have people who are just looking for that alternative approach to their lifestyle um, that they haven't really been exposed to. So I'm wondering for those who are kind of feeling newer to, like you were talking about things that are are sort of on that deeper level, what, what would you recommend people to, to seek out for when they're looking for their care to make sure that it is trauma-informed? Yeah. So, you know, you're right. It has become a buzzword. Um, I think that's a good thing, but, um, you know, it can mean a lot of different things for folks. Yeah. So, um, you know, trauma-informed can look very different from person to person. And one thing I'll say is like, you know, we have certain protocols out there, right? Like our practice, we've got four people who are EMDR trained. Um, we've, I'm brain spotting trained. We've got a couple of people who are trained in TFCBT and DCT, all these acronyms that we could put out, right? So there's, mm -hmm. there's certain protocols that people get trained in. And sometimes, it, especially if you have um, very specific traumas that you want to work through, I think it can be helpful to find someone who has training in a particular protocol. Uh, okay. because that can um, help provide a focus in some ways. That being said, you know, um, what else is like historically, you know, in some folks were maybe trauma informed, but maybe not using that language. So I was, I was just talking with um, someone who has been a mentor and supervisor for me, um, you know, she's in her seventies and has been doing this work and she's only just now actually diving into learning about specific like trauma-informed, in quotes, approaches. Um, but one of our conversations has been around how, in many ways, she was embodying and using so many of the skills. It, she just didn't have that language, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, um, you know, she's doing research on trauma-informed supervision. And um, 
again, like I was kind of pointing out to her, um, I was participating in a, a, a research study they were doing, um, you know, like you didn't maybe call it trauma-informed supervision, but here's what you did. You know, you held space for me when I was having reactions to clients. You know, you attended, you had body language and, and um, posture that was safe and inviting, you know, um, the way you used your tone of voice. Like there's certain things that counselors and a lot of therapists learn as basic micro skills that are um, really important to trauma-informed work. So um, a lot of it goes down to what we call attunement or co-regulation. Mm. So providing space, holding space, and a lot of these terms mean a lot of the same things. Um, in terms of create, creating and, and providing an environment, a container for folks to be able to work through what they need to. Now, there's there's different um, there's different theories about like how that should look, right? So, you know, um, there are some protocols out there that are very much about going into the root of the trauma and in a very sort of catharsis kind of way having the person re-experience, you know, and, and almost relive in a safe container way to bring out what they did and to complete the gestalt, to complete sort of um, maybe the um, expression of what they experienced that got locked up or frozen when the original trauma happened. But some folks philosophy wise say, you know, certain traumas that happen get buried for a reason and it actually may be unsafe for a person to, to do that kind of catharsis work, to go back into it, that our work is not going all the way into it, but maybe coming up kind of close to it, you know, and helping the person maybe gradually um, experience it. So you know, the nuances of all these approaches sometimes are different, but in general, I think if you're looking for someone, you know, I do they use that language on their website? Do they have a specific protocol they've been trained in? Um, you know, a different word, they might not be using the word trauma, but are they really body oriented? You know, mm -hmm. um, uh, do they have a lot of training or background in yoga or, you know, any kind of somatic approach, which is, is essentially trauma focused work? Um, you know, a lot of trauma because it's embedded in your body, um, any kind of somatic body oriented work is really trauma focused work in different ways. Sometimes we call things by different names. So, um, Trauma-informed is, is a good buzzword and I think sometimes speaks to um, an understanding and training, but uh, it, it can mean very different things sometimes. Right. I really love what you said about the fact that often we're using those micro skills, but we're just not sure of what they're called. And that's kind mm -hmm. of what I felt like with Health at Every Size is once I started you know, doing the work and diving into it, I thought, oh, okay, this is the common language we're using, mm -hmm. but we're just or the meanings anyway, but not using that language to sort of identify with those frameworks. Right, and, and in the same way, like, um, you know, social justice is another uh, term, another buzzword, and um, I mean that not in a minimizing way of it, like I, I think it's an important, that it's important that a lot of people are understanding that and doing that work. And um, historically, there were folks who were doing in, incredibly important social justice work, but maybe not using that term, you know? Right. Um, but were fighting injustice, were seeking connection and healing for communities that were oppressed, but maybe not using some of the same buzzwords, maybe didn't know the definition of intersectionality um, that so many people now understand, but were essentially doing that work that, um, that recognized that and that um, was providing support around that. 
So something I'm also hearing, especially not even just in eating disorder work, but in disordered eating is that trauma, like you said, there's lots of different ways of experiencing that is there's almost becoming this, well, you must be broken. There must be something in your past that's created trauma. And this is the symptom of your trauma. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. I, you know, I think we could philosophize about this in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, you know, and some of this gets back to like, even like, uh, you know, like ancient Greek scholars or, you know, like, theories of philosophy, like life mm-hmm. is to suffer, you know, we're right. all suffering or, you know, um, trying to think of the Nietzsche quote, like, um, you know, to live is to suffer or whatever it is. Right. So I think I can go down the path of like, yeah, life is trauma, right? Like leaving the womb is trauma. It right. was really yeah. nice in there. You know, like <laughs> so we true. had all of our needs met and we were connected and, and, you know, um, so like, I think you can go in both directions. Like, yes, everything is trauma. Um, and like, there are definitely certain ones that are more impactful, more difficult to heal from than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes for some folks, uh, and I say this carefully, I say this as someone who at, at points in my life, I think I've you know done the same thing. I think sometimes people take on trauma as an identity. Um, and I think in some cases at some points that can be helpful, right? Like to connect with others who get it, right? Like, you know, this experiencing this has almost become such a defining part of who I am. And so connecting with other folks who get this, um, is really helpful. Sometimes I've seen that end up being limiting for folks because the experience of, um, trauma being their identity becomes the view that they see everything through that then that it prevents them from maybe doing some of the healing that could mm-hmm. lead them to maybe some other kinds of connection. Um, and, and again, I say that with caution because for some folks, you know, it needs to be part of the identity. It needs to be at the forefront of how they connect with others because it's su- it is such a defining part of how they experience the world. Um, but I, I think some folks almost um, start to believe like this is as good as it gets and there's no healing and don't even realize that it could be better, that, that they don't have to suffer quite so much and that they can connect with other people, not just based on what they've experienced traumatically, but based on other things. Ooh, yeah, that is so helpful. Cause I think you, you know, you meaning like I have definitely experienced this. You kind of get into these rabbit holes mm-hmm. where you're just trying to dig, 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 dig. And perhaps it really has to be that person centered, right? In terms of what would be helpful for you and what's supportive to your healing. And mm-hmm. your, and I really like what you said about the attunement because I think sometimes it really is just people not having that embodiment mm-hmm. or not having permission to do that. Right. And so we have to watch the rabbit holes that we kind of put our theories into. Yeah. And, you know, um, an attunement and healing connection with others and with ourselves, because I think Mm -hmm. the splitting that happens, happens not just from other people, but we split from ourselves or we split from parts of ourselves. We start to disconnect from parts of ourselves. That's part of why, you know, I use a lot of parts work, um, internal family systems work, which is essentially a trauma focused work too, like helping people connect back to all parts of themselves and integrate. Mm -hmm. um, Because I think, um, splitting off or condemning parts of ourselves to shame um, doesn't 
doesn't help us heal and it it um, it leaves us feeling disconnected it feels us leaves us feeling split from our full experience wow i could just listen to this all day <laughs> right um, it, yeah i was like wow that's yeah it's it's so nice to kind of hear um it laid out in this way i I don't think I have yet. And so thank you so much for oh, sharing Oh, you're welcome. That. Thank you. You guys are making my head really big right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> just thinking. Um, I'm going to take a slight pivot though. Okay. Um, because um, I first became aware of you on Instagram and um, really enjoy um, the thought provoking um, things you put on your social media, as well as just how honest you are and you put yourself out there a little bit um, with, um, for example, your hair growing and um, <laughs> things this, this past year that I've noticed. Um, and I always check in on Sunday for your grounding Sunday Aww. posts. <laughs> and I just, I was wondering if you could kind of share um, your evolution of how you've um, shared your work on social media. Um, and I'm guessing it can be maybe a little bit difficult to be that honest. Um, and you, you, you put your opinions out there and I, I love it. And I love some of the dialogue that comes after it. So I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit to kind of that universe of your practice as well. Sure. Um, yeah, so and it is hard sometimes, and I think the there's lots of different dynamics that come into play with that because um, it has changed as the platform's gotten bigger, mm -hmm. um, and in some ways I, I I wish it wasn't it hadn't gotten bigger because it has um, made it more difficult to share in some of the same ways that I I used to be able to, um, so you know it it started on Facebook, I have, you know, my Instagram goes directly to my Facebook and the Facebook page is called Body Politics with Dr. Maria Paredes. Um, and that page started because I would be sharing on my personal Facebook page, just random thinking or, you know, ideas. And um, this was several years ago and, you know, would have like extended family members or, you know, friends like engage in ways that, um, yeah, <laughs> hurt, hurt relationships. Right. And yeah. so, and I, I really value relationships. I really value connections and a hundred percent agree and, and affirm the idea that sometimes if a relationship is toxic or abusive, we need to cut it off. Right. Like sometimes that happens, but I personally, I'm not saying this for anyone else. Um, you know, some of the relationships in my life where I've had to set some boundaries around, I have chosen to stay in connection um, because I do care about the people um, and don't want to cut them off. But, um, you know, even though there's maybe been harm there, if that makes sense. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's tricky, right? Like there's people I care very deeply about that I love very much who have also harmed me. And, um, and so like, for me, there's been a lot of work around how do I stay in connection with these folks? Um, you know, while also, you know, having good boundaries and protecting myself. So anyway, one of those things at one point was around like just separating some of my personal and professional spheres. And so I created a professional page and I, I was not in full-time practice at that time. I want to say when I did it, that I was teaching full-time at UNCG, which is a local university. I, I um, teach in their counseling department. So training like grad students, the counselors. Um, 
and anyway, so I was there full time, but I was still like doing some stuff on the side and, and, you know, was always doing sort of stuff around body image and social justice and had like just a handful of, of clients on the side. Um, and so I started posting there, writing some things and, um, it felt really good. It was also a, a, like what I found that I don't know that I realized was like, it was helpful in my recovery process, like to continue that work. I was already pretty far along, um, you know, years along in my recovery at that point, but it was kind of another level. It was like, okay, now I'm sharing about it, you know, with people beyond just my therapist or my, you know, partner or like some close friends and writing about my experience and just owning my voice um, was really healing in a way that I didn't even realize I still needed that. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if that makes sense. Like I had already, again, was already far along in my recovery and it was like, oh, and there's more. (laughs) Like, um, And maybe I can help people. Um, And so it was both about body image stuff, but it was also about then when we were going through like infertility, pregnancy loss, I wrote a lot about that. And that's an area that, you know, historically there's been a lot of shame around, a lot of silence, a lot of messages from people of like, don't talk about that or, you know, um, that's uncomfortable. And um, I suffered a little bit in silence and it was really helpful for me to talk about it, to share about it, to write about it. And as I would do that, I would have people coming out of the ethers, like, you know, someone I went to middle school with that I hadn't seen in 20 years, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, oh my gosh, you know, we lost four babies, you know, thank you for writing about that. Or, you know, you sharing about this helped me, you know, talk with my whatever about um, being gay or something like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like, and so it was like still my personal process of helping me and owning my voice, but it also became this other thing of, wow, like I can have an impact and there's power in that. And and that's a beautiful way of just providing something for folks. So Instagram page came later and, and that has grown. And I do love to write. What's become harder is um, social media is a hard place to, to do nuanced work. And, yes. <laughs> um, and my writing, I think tends to be pretty nuanced. Um, that's, you know, I don't write nuance for the sake of writing nuance, but that it just ends up being that way. Um, and I like to really try to look for the gray and to go deeper, to really, you know, um, I mean, to go into the sort of philosophical roots of what we're talking about beyond kind of the surface level stuff. Mm-hmm. And what's been hard is um, there are a lot of people who are hurting out there and sometimes who maybe don't think in as nuanced ways and sometimes attach their, um, you know, whatever they might be going through to what you write or what you put out and maybe make some assumptions about what you're saying, what you're not saying. And um, I think sometimes distort the message. Um, And so I've had folks who, um, you know, have taken something I've said way out of context or distorted the meaning and then portrayed me or attacked me and said, I'm something I don't identify with. So like, I'll give you a specific example. Um, I had, uh, I shared, reshared a post. It wasn't even something I wrote. It was resharing something someone else had wrote that just said, you know, the future is female, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a really powerful message and certainly, you know, um, 
females have been, you know, oppressed in a lot of ways over the years. And, you know, what, anyway. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I reshared it, didn't think too much about it and had someone who, um, from that, um, sent me a lot of DMs and public messages, you know, saying that I was transphobic that the oh. message was transphobic, um, that I was dangerous. They um, went on other people's pages and, and it was like in response to that post and in response to like another post. And I'm, I don't remember what the other post was, but um, I like totally 100,000% agree with like even better than saying the future is female. Yes, the future is queer. The future is trans, the future yeah. is accessible. I think all those messages are so important, but I think it felt a little like a big jump to go to Dr. Maria Paredes is dangerous and transphobic um, from me sharing a message that said the future is female. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I say that not wanting to minimize like how that message might've felt like it was leaving out folks, but I, you know, I, I um, so, okay, my cognate was second language acquisition. Like in my doctoral program, we had to do like a minor, right? And it was second oh, language yeah. acquisition, right? So I took classes like psycholinguistics and first language acquisition, second language acquisition, and then things like immigrant refugee health and whatnot. And yeah. I am like a like word person and, and, <laughs> and language is contextual, you know, and even speaking um, more than one language, like I think sometimes on social media, we lose the context of dialogue. We lose the yeah. context of words and meaning. And so I want to both affirm, yes, I agree. Better than the future is female, the future is queer, the future is trans, the future is accessible, all those things. Um, I also um, don't feel like it's fair for something like that to then go to, you know, Maria's dangerous and transphobic because... I think it misses so much of the context of the communication. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's a long question. I've also gotten like, uh, recently I've got trolled pretty badly by a group of folks. At some point I'm going to write about it. I'm not ready to yet. Um, but there is, there's a dark side to this work and the bigger your platform, the more um, of a target you can become. Yes. Um, I also think, and I, I've seen this even before social media for myself, like, any woman who has a voice is a target because it goes against what so many of us have been socialized to be. So um, I see this in academia um, with my friends, colleagues, with myself, like um, female professors, and this has been studied, get way more criticism and like harsh um, abusive uh, evaluations from students than male professors do. Um, I think any woman who has a voice, you see this on both sides of the aisle politically, like in America, Democrat or Republican, like the criticism that women's bodies will receive and that women's voices receive is just so different from what would be said to a male in that same position saying the same things. Mm -hmm. And so there is, there are some risks to putting yourself out there and talking. And I have pulled back with certain things. I don't know that folks would even notice that, but um, some of what's happened and some of the things people have attacked me, you're a bad mom, <laughs> your kids must, oh my goodness. I mean, like, um, people can be really vicious and especially yeah. via DMs and, um, but sometimes even publicly and sometimes with even, even within community, there have been providers within the same community, um, okay. who have, um, I think said and done some things that are pretty shitty and, um, and so 
like for personally, for my sake, I have had to really think about like, what do I want this platform to be? Um, I love something Jess Baker once told me in a, um, as a consult. Um, she said, you know, this idea of like how to focus on just providing solutions. I don't want to add to anyone's pain. Um, mm. So how do we focus on providing solutions, which um, I think it's a good goal, right? Yeah. Like people that. are hurting. Yeah. So, but you know, um, sometimes I'll write something and it's for me or it's um, I'm trying to explore an idea. I'm trying to process it. And it sometimes gets taken out of context and, and that can be frustrating. So I'm trying to think of like, where is the forum? Is this the right place to process this? Is this the right place to write about this? Or do I need to blog about it and not share it or share it in a different way or, you know, yeah. have a conversation with someone about it. Wow. I'm sorry that it's been <laughs> so um, mean at times. It's, yeah, it's my, when people get behind a screen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I think Corey and I can both agree about the reviews from academia. The, mm -hmm. Like I've had students write about my body on my uh -huh. teaching reviews. And I'm ridiculous. Yeah. I'm always yeah. like, I, I don't know what that has to do with anything. I know. Um, yeah. So you're right. There is a big, big underlying issue, I think, with much of this. But thank yeah. you so much for sharing. Sure. And I, I don't mean to sound gloom. It's also been this really wonderful opportunity to reach folks, to connect with folks. I've connected, I mean, just even, you know, like meeting y'all and connecting and, you know, you sharing, yeah. you had read my stuff. That's wonderful. I love connecting with folks. And, and that's one of the things I've really been trying to seek out is like, I want to actually connect with folks, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like how do yeah. we actually dialogue? And mm -hmm. Um, because otherwise we're not communicating with each other. We're communicating with like sort of this contrived false, um, you know, like replacement for ourselves. Like, you know, people are trying to communicate with my page, which isn't necessarily me, you know, as yeah, a right. person, as a human being. And so, you know, I want to see connection. I want to actually dialogue and connect with another human being. I'm so glad you said that because I think I totally went through this phase you know, after having kids where I was like, oh, everything's online and let's mm -hmm, go online mm -hmm. and be online and have this, you know, great job that you get X amount of money every month. <laughs> and realize that does not nourish me at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, that connection piece and what connection really is, mm -hmm. I mean, different for each of us, but um, yeah, I mean, I definitely connected with you on your Facebook page and and, and so that's why that physical connection and having that time to actually be with the person and mm -hmm. your, your feeds are just so nourishing from that personal perspective. So thank you. Conversation has been so nourishing for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So our sort of ending question that we always like to ask is talking about what is currently nourishing you and whatever context you want to answer it, uh, <laughs> we would love to hear. Yeah, <laughs> and well, and you know, before we, I, I think I mentioned um, before we started the interview, like I, um, I'm not feeling nourished right now, and I don't mean that in like a woe is me. I, I'm fine, and we'll be fine. But I happen to be like just while we're talking right now, my partner's away for a week um, at a conference, and so I've been single momming it and. 
And then we've also just had like recent changes with both of our works of added some stress and a kid that has some health challenges. And so I'd love to answer with like, um, what nourishes me right now is homemade hibiscus tea and getting enough, <laughs> getting enough sleep and peaceful meals with my family, but none of that would be true. So like, I don't know if it fits in the context of that, that frame, but what's nourishing me is like, you know, not putting pressure on myself that like I should be nourished in a certain kind of way right now. Like just having space and grace and gentleness that, you know, um, right now we might just be kind of in quotes surviving the like, you know, parenthood stage we're in or life stage we're in and in not feeling super rested, but that's mm. okay. We'll get there. And, you know, um, I, um, I'm feeling pretty exhausted right now, but that's also part of just the life stage I'm in as a parent with little ones and, you know, working mom and all that kind of stuff. So I am looking forward to Thursday night. I'm going out with some lady friends after my partner gets back. I, I told him you're getting home and I'm going out. <laughs> I'm going to go have a meal and, you know, like have some good conversation with people in real life um, and maybe vent a little bit about some of the things that are hard about parenthood sometimes. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I, it's not the sort of like, I'm sitting here zend out <laughs> kind of answer. Oh no. I'm not sure any of us are sitting yeah. here zend out. <laughs> I quite love that answer. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, I, it, cause I think it's so true. We are all like, before we recorded, I was like, oh, I have a sick child and I couldn't get mm-hmm. this. Right. And it's, so it was all that we, it's the life stage and you're yeah. like, I think it'll be very nourishing for you Thursday night when you go out. <laughs> right. right. And do you guys feel like, I don't know about you, but it, it's also sort of a big part of the, I don't know, zeitgeist right now, like self-care, self-care. And sometimes that feels like pressure to me. Like I'm like, you know, I'm trying to find this, you know, elusive no. or whatever self-care, but um, it's not always there. Sometimes it's just going through the motions and that's okay. Again, like, I don't mean that in a, gloom and doom way but um uh you know if I, I hear that from clients too of like I feel like I'm doing a bad job of felt self-care and I'm like a bad job of self-care like what does that mean yes <laughs> like, like don't make it another thing that you're feeling bad about you know and no. blaming yourself for but well it, I think it's episode two or three we talked to Julie Sweeney who said uh-huh. um two minutes a day of self-care four mm. times a day just try mm. two minutes. And so my self-care is drinking my coffee while it's still uh-huh, hot. Uh-huh. I, and then I feel like I have this major win in the morning. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and I've devised hot as being not ice cold. So <laughs> any right. version where there's a temperature that doesn't feel like it's frozen, um, yeah. that's my self-care. And yeah. it's for me, it helps in that Oh, see, look, I, I can do this tiny little moment. Of, right, right. And and it's not the bubble bath and the candles and the, you know, Zen place of anything. Um, mm-hmm. in my, but that's my reframing um, that I took from Julie just to try and figure out. Okay, so look, I am doing something for me, and now I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. I've <laughs> I've personally found that helpful. That that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes you know, I I think of things that do nourish me and can take X amount of time. And Mm -hmm. then other times I go, okay, a half an hour of that is just exhausting Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my brain Mm -hmm. right now. So I really appreciate your answer of looking at, you know, what is really going on right now and what is doable and Mm -hmm. 
what can be doable maybe on Thursday? Right, yeah. right. My partner and I do the, the most boring dates when we go out, like, you know, um, and we keep saying we need to be better about like planning these out and so that they're there. But usually it's like, oh my gosh, we need to get out and have a date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so usually what our date is, is going for sushi and then going and sitting in a movie theater and like holding hands and watching the movie, which mm. is like the most, you know, pr probably not super exciting paint the town red kind of date, but like for us just doing that, like watching a movie that our kids can't watch, <laughs> you know, and like being able to sit there in silence and hold mm -hmm. hands. Um, we feel so rejuvenated after that, that it's enough. So yeah, I think whatever works um, to give you a little bit of boost um, is a good thing. Totally. Yeah. Well, Maria, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. It's been so wonderful to mm -hmm. chat with you um, and connect with you. Can you let any listeners know where they can find you if they're interested in learning more about your work? Sure. So our website is threebirdscounseling.com. You can just put in the number three or spell out the word three. It'll get you to the same place. Um, my Instagram is with this body, um, but I also have the grounding techniques page, which is just sort of an offshoot um, where I share grounding techniques. Um, and then I, you know, on in the <laughs> can't talk Facebook. On Facebook, it's the Body Politics Dr. Maria Paredes. And then I'll just give a shout out, um, you know, two of my providers on Instagram, and they share such wonderful stuff. The Spanglish therapist, Spanglish therapist Melissa Carmona, and then Lindsay Umstead is ever blooming body. So. Um, they've got some great stuff there. Oh, they do. I didn't realize Lindsay was associated with you. <laughs> she is. Yes. She yeah. works here. She, um, she's a full-time professor at UNCG. She was a doc student now as a full-time professor. So she's been here kind of in a part-time capacity for a couple of years, but is, um, probably going to be moving more toward a full-time capacity at some point. So oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Follow her stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time today and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.